0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Hi, I'm Will Beaumont. I am the editor and creator of Verka magazine.
2: The Driven Chat Podcast. Powered by Paramex Digital.
0: Hello there, and welcome to this week's Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Markar. I am sat in a room alongside my highly esteemed
3: colleague Miles Lacey. Hello, my name is Miles Lacey. <laughs> highly esteemed uh, colleague. I don't, I don't know where you keep getting these intros from. But, Neither uh, do
0: I. It's like no. Tourettes. They just they sit somewhere at the back of my mind. That's right. <laughs> None of them actually have any out. standing,
3: but uh, <laughs> they
0: sound nice. So I'll go
3: with that. Yeah,
0: perfect. Perfect. And Miles and I are currently sat in a wonderful office space. I'm getting quite distracted because I have got a um, um, hang on, 1000 RR BMW motorcycle just sat to my right, which is very pretty. Um, but more importantly than that, sat opposite me is Will Bowman, who you've just heard from there, from uh, Verka Magazine. Have I pronounced that correctly?
1: You have, but uh, there we- is no incorrect. Way. There's no. Okay. You, there's no incorrect way of pronouncing it. <laughs> Thank God. Um, <laughs> again, people always ask me how you pronounce it, and it's written down. You read it, and you can pronounce it however you want. Work. Werke, verk, whatever you want to do. I mean, it, it probably is a German word. It probably should be werke, but you know, I, I'm not that So We use a load of puns in it so that in the mag, you know, so that people read it as work. So that's absolutely fine. We've got workshop and the workstation and, and work of art. They're all bits that are in it. So oh, if it doesn't work, quite work as werke who knows it doesn't matter whatever however you want to pronounce it i'm not fussed i'm okay. not going to be offended we can go yeah you could get all sorts of uh,
0: you can go too far with it sometimes can't you? otherwise we'd, we'd start saying bmv instead of bmw if we're going to be all proper
2: about
3: it we're not yes um, and actually uh, uh, this used this used to come up in my previous line of work because whenever we would talk about um mercedes products from alfaltabac with german people uh-huh. they would call it an i am gay Yes, that's and true. And yes. obviously, obviously, me being an absolute child I was hilarious. But you know, for, for us, for us English blokes, what have you driven here today in G? miles? I am gay. Yes, but what, what yes. have you driven here? Well, that's, that's great for you. But you know, tell <laughs> yeah. me about the
0: car. None of us care about that. We're a very open society now. <laughs> Um, yes, right. Well, it's probably worth prefacing that this conversation, in case you hadn't guessed, from the title of the episode and from the guest, it's going to be quite heavy on the subject of uh, BMW products. Now, it's no secret. I might have mentioned it once or twice in the 150 plus episodes that we've now recorded. I do quite like a BMW product. I've owned a few. I still own one um, and uh, yeah, have got quite a alarmingly Geeky section of my brain reserved for engine numbers, chassis numbers, and all sorts of things, as many of us do. Uh, Miles, you are the proud owner of a rather fantastic E39 M5.
3: I, I am. Yeah, I, I. This is this is quite. Um... This is a common theme here with some of these podcasts, but it's uh, it's quite self indulgent because it get it means we do get to talk about the things we like, and BMWs are right up there. So any useful information that entered my brain as a child at school and yes. university was immediately kicked out by anything that I learned about. Absolutely,
0: ask me the most simple mental arithmetic mathematics question, and I will go. No, no, no. Ooh, it's uh, gone.
3: Ooh, Forget just about get it. Get the calculator on my phone. Ask me about engine numbers on an e34 m5 no problem at all Get, i'll recite them all yeah. if you want to know how to refurbish uh, a set of front callipers for an e39 m5 give me a call <laughs> give me a call what a what a chatter Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, believe it or not it doesn't work no <laughs> oh you, you shocked me indeed, indeed no 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 i am i'm a proud owner of an e39 m5 which actually has just come up to year five hey uh and i do drive a three series as a daily so Dude. yes we're well in the we're well in the clan yes absolutely
0: so will i guess it we need to establish as we often like to do with these episodes is finding out where the interest started where it all came from and ultimately I guess why BMW and um, so let's start with my favorite question which is can you think of a core memory as far back as you can go so earliest childhood memory that might have been the moment that switched on the little light bulb to um, involve yourself later in life as a writer of cars and a uh, especially fanatic of BMWs.
1: No. And just, <laughs> and I'm not going <laughs> to leave it at that. I will, go, I will I will. Go develop on that. But the answer is no, because there, isn't, there was never one thing. There wasn't yeah. one thing that, 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 that set this thing off. And the fact that we are sat in an inside office, as a normal complete office, with a BMW motorbike mm. sat there next to us, goes to show just possibly how instilled within my entire family's life cars, motorbikes, things with engines are just that they, it was just, it was always there. There was no escaping it at all. It's just, it was there forever. You know, my dad is so obsessed with cars, tractors, trucks, diggers, whatever it might be, anything with an engine. And so that kind of that got passed down to me. My granddad, he was a truck driver and also interested in cars. My mum was a jet engineer, but also interested in cars. Me and my brother are just exactly—it's it's, you know. So no, there isn't one thing. It was just. It was just there. That was it. That was life. It's just sort blood. of like from, yeah, from the beginning. You know, and everything, all of my core memories, all of my early memories involve some sort of car. The ones I've remembered involve some sort of car. We talk about, yeah, not re- retaining any useful information. I think my brain was already full of useless information. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't work in any other industry because I would be useless with, you know, with any, anywhere else because they'd go, oh, how does this relate? And I'm, this food, and i am like, I'll bring it back to cars. Somehow, yeah. I'll bring a conversation like, back, back to cars. In a car <laughs> Analogy, then I will. <laughs> That's all I know. That's, yeah. So, so no, it's not a very not. Yeah, there's not one thing. It's everything. So, gotcha. yeah, you know, that is. I, I should add just to paint the picture as well that as we walked towards your
3: office, we tripped over probably at least four bobcats, uh, a couple of other diggers, a Range Rover, a BMW X5. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of machinery and things with engines here. Oh yeah, I
1: mean, you know, uh, me and my dad are. In Eerily similar in many many ways he just has more space and more means in which to sort of <laughs> to live out this fantasy that you yeah, that, that I would be doing the same way you know we, we every it 's a weird place that we 've got because there 's garages everywhere and they 're all full they 're all full of stuff to the point where you know they, the motorbikes get and end up in the office because it was full of something else full of other cars so
0: I think yeah. a motorcycle in an office is a great addition, especially when there 's access for it to be removed and used I sometimes get a little bit sad when I go into posh offices and I've done this quite a few times doing the podcast alone going to a really nice office and sometimes it's three or four or five floors high and there'll be a motorcycle there that you know full well isn't moving like a beautiful old Ducati or something like that but I do think they make a great addition to the office especially when it's next to a set of double doors so clearly on a beautiful day
1: well it isn't it, it didn't usually live in here.
0: I will admit
3: that it's, it usually does no, anybody but we should, had some yeah it
1: permanent residence here. <laughs> yeah it would be nice. Yeah we unsurprisingly we it had to move because we were because we were expanding the garage so that we could fit more stuff in the garage and <laughs> things had to be moved around and that ended up you know that ended up coming in here temporarily so it will go back in the garage but it's yeah in one of the garages, that whether the new expanded one, who knows? But yeah, every avail- every available space gets full of cars or garages to fit cars. That in.
3: we love, and I feel like a lot of um, uh, I always I always want to say readers. We don't have any readers because <laughs> this is clearly an audio based format. <laughs> Listeners who probably are very much relating to you now that go yeah. ah yeah, I've got that little bit of space there. I could probably fit some other piece of junk in there.
1: Yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, my I. I do not have enough space for the amount of cars that I've got. And me and you know me and my girlfriend have to shuffle cars almost every single morning because I've parked her in because I've got two cars. We've only really got space for two cars and she's got a car. I've got a car there and I'm trying to sort of move it around or whatever. <laughs> Plus, I'm still taking up space here with cars of uh, <laughs> that, that isn't my space to take up, but I haven't got anywhere else to put them. Oh, it's
3: terrible. It's a disease. So I but... think we've distab- we've definitely established here that cars run in, fa- in the family. Yes. <laughs> j- j- yes. Just to underline that point there. Yep. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. What I do want to know, though, is we'll get to. I fear I'm at risk of skipping a chapter here, but I do want to find out if there is a brief answer to why the focus is now
1: solely on BMW. Is there a story Mm. there, or is? Well, I would. I I suppose. I, try, I suppose I try not to say solely on BMWs. Obviously, having a BMW magazine very, makes it look very much like that, is the case. <laughs> yeah. And you're right, there is a big focus on it at the moment, certainly now. I mean, I do write for other people and I do try and write about, <laughs> write about other things, even though this takes up most of my time. But why BMWs? They were about, you know, early in my life, my, my dad had a e 34 in the 90s, not a M5, but a a 525 TDS, which Mm. I thoroughly loved at the time. My granddad had a 7 Series, um, so they were were about, but in all honesty, I suppose I wasn't really sort of, they weren't sort of a big part of my life, particularly, um, until I bought one. Um, I was about, I was at university still. Um, and wanted to buy an old car. I wanted to spend my um, student loan on something completely inappropriate. Not Perfect. like, not actually the things I should have spent it. On. And I was like, I've got this big amount of money that gets delivered to me three times a year or whatever. And I to say big. I mean, you know, it was a student loan amount, so you know, not big by the grand scheme of things, but enough for me to go. I might as well spend this <laughs> on something rather than you know, rather than saving it and distributing it around and keeping me going for a while. I'm going to spend it on something. Um, and I just wanted, I really wanted a car that was rear wheel drive. That was old, and I could put twin carbs on. They were the okay. they were the I you know I loved the noise of a four cylinder on twin carbs. Yeah, um, and I wanted it to be rear wheel drive because you know I again I grew up in a house with so my dad used to race in the nineties. He had a he raced a Lotus Sunbeam. Uh-huh. so rear wheel drive king in 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 the Beaumont household as much. So you know we all love cars and we all love all sorts of cars, but yeah, there are the, the things that, you know that edge their way to the top. Um. And so I was like, right, this is, I, this is what I want to do. Couldn't afford a Lotus Sunbeam. Um, They were too expensive. Couldn't afford any sort of Escort. They were all too expensive. Couldn't afford an Alpha; They were all too rusty. Um, my dad also has an Alpha as well. He's got um, a two-liter GTV as well. So, oh, we, so we you know, I mean, like I say, the, the amount of things that that sort of fall into the criteria. But I could afford a BMW 1602. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, and I found one, and it was great, and it didn't, I don't know, gazillion thousand miles or whatever it was it didn't really matter but it was it was very kind of original and it was it was brilliant obviously it was original I bought it home and immediately sort of bumpers off it and immediately just put some wide mini lights on it and Not started that. kind <laughs> of you know took the seats out and put some other you know, put some little tiny you know corduroy and vinyl things which basically only covered my bum When it was probably the unsafest thing in the world Yeah, um, and eventually sort of yeah, bought, bought got a two liter engine and built a two liter engine for it and put twin carbs on that and just you know, limited slip diff and just started to, you know just going going for it and it just looked, I just fell I fell for it completely and I suppose in some respects that you when you start I mean, maybe when you're so influential when it's like a car that's you know you drive it at such an influential point of your life when you're kind of you know when I was 17, 18 I, I, how I can't remember how old I was when I bought it it might have been nineteen rather than 18 I can't remember. But, you know, I was learning to drive as mm. well. You know, and not, obviously, I'd learned to drive, but, yeah. you know, I'd got my licence, but I was actually now of learning course, to yeah. drive. In all the most inappropriate ways, I would not advise anyone to go and do the sort of things that I did. And I think there's a statute of limitations, surely, by now, that I can talk about the silliness <laughs> yes. that I got away with in cars at the time. Um, and, and just did, and, yeah, and just, you know, learn, learn about it. And when you kind of, you learn about a car that way and you drive that car, you get used to, you know, it becomes a thing that you know, oh, it must be a BMW thing. And it turns out it was a BMW thing. You know, when I had to buy another car, I bought a BMW and actually went, oh, this feels, it was, you know, it's 30, 40 years difference between the two of them. I bought an E36 Touring. Mm. Um, and it was the worst car in the entire world. I mean, Why? it was, oh God, it was, I mean, I loved it, but it was about 800 quid, I think. Um, <laughs> within a week after him buying it, one of the spark plugs ejected itself from the engine <laughs> <laughs> um, we had to helicoil that in, back, back in with the head still on which was incredibly nerve-wracking assuming we were going to get all sorts of swarf into the engine but it was that like, <laughs> intergrid car so I shouldn't have been that fussed about it it had it had, like, the paint had gone all scaly all down the one side of it, like it like it, like, like it, looked like a snake of some sort. I think it had been close to a fire. I mean, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> and I lowered it on some real cheap coilovers and beached it on about every single verge. In the, Basically you know, everything yeah. you do as an early 20-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I yeah, did yeah. all the wrong things, but did all the right things in some respects and learned, learned absolutely loads. Um, so, yes, it was... <laughs> um, yeah, and it turns out it was a BMW thing. And then I got, you know, started working at Evo, and drive more and more BMWs and lots and lots of other cars as well. But every single time I jumped into a BMW, I always feel at home. I yes. always kind of, I can always get the right seat, seat position. They pretty much always do the thing that I want them to do when, you know, when you're driving them, you know, at a little bit faster pace or whatever. You know, I get it immediately. And it doesn't take a lot of, or any, getting used to some of them. I mean, some of them are, you know a bit stranger and a bit more weird and the suv ones are probably you know don't have that don't have the exact same sort of feels Them, although i do own an x5 so i'm i'm not one of the sort of anti-suv types i will i mean i probably was at some point but now i've got this crusty old x5 although it's not that crusty i should say but it's not it's not exactly brilliant um but i love it um and yeah it's it that so yeah that's where that's where the bmw thing came from is that i owned one and they sort of got under my skin and you know i I suppose when it came to doing a magazine, you know, there's a bunch, there's loads of Porsche magazines out there that exist, and they do an exceptional job of what they do. And there's sort of some uh, BMW magazines as well, or BMW magazines certainly in the UK now, but nothing that was kind of high end, nothing that was kind of quality, nothing that was like the sort of thing that necessarily that I really wanted to read mm. um, and own and collect and all those sort of things, things that I love about magazines. So I was like, well, it works in the Porsche world. Yeah. Give it a while, see whether it works in the BMW world. And yeah, so far, it looks like it might be working. Exactly. Well, it, it's really, really interesting because I was the first, I, I knew of, so I knew
3: of you from Evo. Mm. Uh, I've read, I read your articles in Evo. Um, and I think I'd started, I've maybe followed you some years ago, just simply because it was like, oh, there's, a, there's another guy who likes BMWs as much as I do. And then when obviously, I think it's before it was even the magazine, you had, you kind of had like the social media presence and that when that popped up, it was like, oh, okay, this is a really cool thing. But it's a very, it's an interesting approach because you speak to so many people and they will go, why on earth are you doing print? You know, Mm -hmm. what, what, what what is, is print dead? And this gets banded around so much, but speaking to someone like yourself, I'm very interested to know what your position is
1: on that. So yeah, it obviously seems mad doing a print magazine and I do understand that that's you know and I th- probably it might be right doing <laughs> being on but I think we've had a, there's been a bit of a resurgence. I think you know if you look back at my when I worked in so when I first started working in magazines um, when I first started working at Evo, which was probably it might have been just over 10 years ago, it was kind of on the cusp of this sort of this idea that, ipad and digital things were going to change everything it was all going to be we were going to have a digital revolution and the printed magazine would sort of kind of in in nosedive and Mm. we would spend ages recreating the printed magazine into a digital into a digital format and kind of making it fancier and adding all sorts of completely pointless gimmicks and gestures and all these things you know pinch and zoom and scroll and all these other things which didn't didn't actually add anything to the magazine, didn't add anything to the content, but it was it was kind of fun, I suppose. Um, but we were told that that was going to be the future and that books were going to be all going to... It was, it, everyone was going to have a Kindle. And no one would buy books. And, you know, magazines would just be all sort of... Um, newspapers would just be all websites. And that's not quite happened. The truth is that some of it's happened. You know, newspapers... And I wouldn't want to be in the newspaper industry. It must be so difficult to, to do. You know, trying to persuade people to buy something that is... Essentially disposable mm-hmm. and that's gonna that you're gonna you're gonna spend this money on something that's be, and you could just read it on your phone you could or your, or your laptop or your yeah. computer whatever it is you can just read it there and yeah we're not talking big long form articles so you, you bite sized stuff like you get in a newspaper that you can you know that you can read on your phone absolutely makes perfect sense but books book sales are stronger than ever mm-hmm. book sales people want the physical copies of books mm-hmm. because they spend so much time on their phone, so much time in front of screens that when you do actually sort of really want to read something, you don't want to have to, you know, that I don't think we want the same, the same process. They go, yes. well, I actually do want to to you know to actually sort of get away from that screen time. That's part of reading. Uh, it's relaxing, it should be. So yeah, that's so creating a magazine that is much, much, much closer to what a book would be rather than rather than any sort of newspaper. And I think that, that is the that's where I think it's stronger. I think that's where the people you know, have this sort of this this enthusiasm for, and also it's probably the worst time to have launched a magazine that's costs ten pounds, which is not a cheap magazine. I get that, you know, in a cost of living crisis or whatever. But also at the same time. It feels like you're getting a lot for your money because mm-hmm. it's big, it's thick, it's it's not something that you're going to throw away. This is something you're going to keep. It's going to something you're going to collect. Yeah, there'll be four a year, so it's not we're not going to fill up your shelves rapidly before before yeah. you, you know, get bought it. But that is the point: is that you get it and you go, oh, this is this is cool. This feels impressive. It feels you know like I'm getting a lot. And again, it feels from my point of view like I've got a duty um, to provide not just. The way in which it feels and looks, but also the content that people are going to, yeah, that people are going to appreciate or people are going to sort of feel that there's value in it for the for that t- ten pounds. And I mean, I know that every person who works in magazines thinks that as well. That is not just you know unique to me, but it's all it's all part of the process that's going on in creating the magazines. Like what are people are going to really value, what are people are going to really want to learn about and read about, and what is it that's you know, you know what do people want to see and what do people want to have and hold and feel and all those sort of things. So that is. I Suppose the reason why you yeah, know going into something printed also because I love car magazines. I mean, yeah. you know, that's the, you know, like I say, there was nothing that got me into car, yeah, into cars, but car magazines certainly help support that. And this is a little bit my you know, Verka is a little bit like a kind of best of of all car magazines sure. from yeah. my point of view. I mean, things yeah. like um, road wrap do car magazines in a totally different way. I mean, that that's kind of, that's like not, no other car magazine that's ever existed mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's amazing. And they do an incredible job. And I love the attitude and the way it looks and the feel and the writing in it. It's just brilliant. But I suppose Verka's more sort of, yeah, there's, there's, there's new car reviews. There's long term tests. There's all the things that sort of like you might get in lots and lots of other magazines. It's just so I'm not really doing anything new. I can't pretend that
0: I've, no, that's that it's, okay. I yeah. think that's it. That's it. And and you've you've made so many fantastic points about the joy of magazines. If for me, for example, often within reach of a bedside table, there's a magazine and mm. it might be. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't, don't need to buy those anymore, Miles. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'll save you this the This podcast is just taking a <laughs> No, uh, there's often a car magazine. Not, not exclusively <laughs> a car God magazine, actually. But yeah, there's usually a car magazine. And there is, there's something, as you say, there's something very very nice about just the ability to pick up something that's not on a screen. And I remember, uh, you know, a very good friend of, of mine and no doubt, uh, well, a friend of yours as well, Miles, and no doubt a, a, a work connection of yours, well, Tim Hutton, mm. who's launched a few magazines in his time and then focused heavily on that that strange time let's call it of the uh, transition as a lot of people thought it was going to be as you say from print media through to screen media and we can all remember having the issue app on our iPads or on our phones and and as you say that strange swipe across thing where the page curled over I remember thinking even at the time when this was all very new and having this conversation with Tim going why does it need to look like a magazine? Yeah. Because it's not a magazine. You know, yeah. we we have these platforms and even websites going onto a website platform and scrolling, you know, using your mouse to turn a page on something that's
1: not a magazine. Yeah. It didn't make any thing. sense. And we look back at it now and think,
0: what a utterly
1: <laughs> bizarre, bizarre thing that was. Always, but it was always my argument as well is that often we people would talk about these digital magazines as interactive magazines. Yeah, And I was like, well, what's more interactive than? Picking up something. That's, that you can actually f- tangibly feel in your hands. Yeah. You feel the weight of it. You can turn the pages. There's different. There's a different stock on the cover. There's an inside. There's, it probably also smells as well. Like you've got this... What more? What more interactive do you want yeah, than this so actual right. physical thing? You're so right. You an uh, iPad is just sort of like a pretend inter- interactive thing. It, it was thing. like a solution to a
3: problem that nobody was talking <laughs> exactly about. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I distinctly remember when Evo was doing that uh, interactive thing on the mm. iPad and I love, obviously, love it reading Evo. Mm. But I was, I think it was one of the first issues they'd done. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go for that. And I'm sat on the plane, and then it like froze, and then this, and <laughs> then that, and then the, this random sound started playing from nowhere, like a random engine noise. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> I just
1: want to read the article. Yeah, I mean, again, the, like again, pretending that that. That there isn't, to, there isn't brilliant content on other, on you know, that the, the digital content can't be brilliant. It's obviously, it's, it's mad, because obviously things like podcasts exist yes, as well, exactly. do you know what I mean? And yeah. you know, the um, fact that these can exist, and the video, car videos, they're amazing. And there are great things, you know, about, you know, stories online, Yeah, you know, there's all, there's a different, there's a platform suitable for everything. I think that's also the other aspect as well, isn't it? Is that actually, within the magazine, trying to actually decide what is the best and what is, yeah you know, what does and doesn't work. Yeah. You know, there's creating a magazine. It's about sort of balance. There's all, you know, trying to get different voices in there and also different sort of lengths of features. But most of the things that are in Verka are big, a couple of thousand word long yeah, features sure. because, well, if you're going to have a magazine, you're going to sit down and read it. You're not going to be distracted by other things. You know, you, you're not going to have ads popping up. You're not going to have a phone call from your magazine when you're reading it, or a text <laughs> yeah. message or an email come through. It's your time, and you can actually sit down and read that three thousand word feature, and you know, because and actually sort of take it in. I think that's also the you know the, the beauty of it. And you can't do that on your phone because it was it's just too annoying. You're right. <laughs> so that's... Too many distractions. <laughs> in fact, that's the,
0: one of the very few comparisons that I found with podcast funnily enough with print media and it is that ability you can get to a certain point in a podcast where if you've perhaps you listen to a podcast whilst you're on your commute or you're on a long drive or you are walking the dog or whatever it is you might be doing but it gets to a point where that activity or that journey comes to an end so you hit pause or you turn off the car and you walk away when you get back into the car for your journey later on you can go back to it and you enjoy it. Now that's something you can't necessarily do or don't necessarily do with a website article. Mm-hmm. You know, the Very idea nice. of I read half a website article and then I go and do something else and then I come back—you don't do that because yeah. it's gone. You've you've gone onto a different web page. But with magazines, that's exactly what you do. Again, you know, mm-hmm. all the time we'll read half an article of an evening, or you know, sat on a train or something like that, and then you fold the corner of the page over. You get back on the train on the way home and you finish the article. And there's yeah. something quite almost cathartic I find about magazines. We've all done it, I'm sure, where. We sit at home, got a a period of time where there's not a lot going on. So you end up doom scrolling through Instagram reels or TikTok or whatever it might be, social media in general. And you get to that point where you're like, oh, God, I've been doing this for half an hour. And this is Half an hour. Oh, my God.
1: It's usually about two hours. (laughs) (laughs) What have I done? Where's all this time gone? I could have done something productive. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. But
0: so the next time, what I'll say, so talking to you now here, dear listener, is... If you find yourself in this environment, because I've only admittedly discovered this recently, when you get to those weird doom-scrolling times of yeah, half an hour to an hour plus, and you think, what on earth am I doing? If you actually have got nothing else to do, just pick up a magazine, and you'll be amazed how... Relaxed and at peace, you suddenly start to feel there's something about it. Especially something the ones
3: off the top shelf. There, <laughs> I always feel really relaxed after we're reading one of those.
1: We're learning a lot about you, more and more each week, Miles.
3: And this Sorry, dear. No I did say
1: that the internet was taking over, sir. <laughs> clearly not for everyone. Miles is clearly yeah. old school with what he Adult school. content. I love a tea page spread. <laughs> uh, but yeah,
0: it's true. you know This there is something. There's a bizarre emotion to going through social media feeds which for me usually is seeing some sort of controversial headline getting very angry at the comments and yeah. then moving on to the next one. Yeah. And but the difference in picking up a magazine, something that's been beautifully put together with lovely pictures and lovely words and relatable articles. It is it is lovely and I think it's because of that that magazines will never die. There will always be that demand for stepping away from a screen. And I think, especially more so than the last few years, you know, we've all been told how terrible it is that we're staring at screens all the time. And every single child under the age of 10 is now short-sighted because they're all grown yeah. up looking at screens. Yeah. It's, it is quite refreshing to know that there is an alternative option out there. And it is the good old-fashioned print on paper, something you can yeah. pick up, flick through, pop down, come back to a month or two later. You know, I'm sure we've all done it. We've picked up magazines that are maybe three, four, five years old and gone, oh, let's have another, another flick through this even if it's just to get depressed at how cheap the classified ads are. Oh God,
3: yeah. You go, what, an E46 M3 was how much? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't even get me started on that one. Well, it, it, um, it, yeah. as, as you, yeah, to your point, John, you know, as, as we walked in, as we walked into your office, world, you know, there was two, there's the issue one and issue two on your desk that I'm, I'm actually staring at right now, and they just look like they should be there. They look like yeah. they should be part of what's in your household or in your office or in a cafe or something like that, you know, and it, it's not cluttered with, you know... The latest week is we've tried this and blah, 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 (laughs) and nobody really cares about it. Six different
0: fonts in all different colours. Yeah, Yeah.
3: exactly. It's clean. You know, it's a beautiful picture here of an E30 M3. Um, And then uh, issue two is an E46 M3 doing a big old stinking drift around the corner. (laughs) um uh, you know that ticks many boxes for me that ticks many boxes so uh, you know credit to you I think it's a lovely piece of work yeah no pun intended Ooh, <laughs> lovely piece of work the, <laughs> yes indeed um but yeah it's you know we've 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 definitely jumped uh, a chapter there but you're uh, you know for the people that don't know you as well well your story of the writing world presumably starts somewhere where was that?
1: Where were your formative years? How did that happen? So it was at Evo. That was where I started to write. I started um, at Evo as a designer. So ah. I I studied graphic design when I was at, at university while I was spending all my money on cars um, and graduated. My final um, sort of final thing that I did um, at university, um, I, can't remember, I can't remember what you call it now, but my final project, as it were, um, I made a magazine. I was because right. because I love magazines mm-hmm. that's also you know that was yeah thing and it was kind of like a kind of lifestyle travel type magazine so you know it wasn't a car magazine but it was cars were heavily you know heavy focus within it because it was kind of yeah lots of travel um and that was that was what I used as my sort of portfolio as it were to get a job in design and I got a job working for an agency called 6 um we did lots of branding and it was great fun I learned loads about design made some great mates and it was you know lots and lots of fun mm-hmm. um but then shortly after i kind of got that job there was a job posted for a designer at evo and evo was the magazine that i was subscribed to at the time it was another sort of like, obviously this is where i want to go you know i yeah. like magazines i like cars i like car magazines, i like evo this is this is you know i'm a designer this all makes sense let's go and do this turned up to the interview in my you know 1602 which i think at the time i'd reshelled it at that point i said lots of work happened to that car um <laughs> reshelled it and um, it turned we spent about 10 minutes talking about work and then the next hour talking about cars yes. and I kind of walked out going I think I think I did pretty well that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that sort of way maybe went well um, and yeah it did turn out I did got a job there worked as a designer for oh, I can't remember how long it was not in the grand scheme of things it felt like a long time it was, I learned again so much but it probably wasn't very long um, and then Because I was so obsessed with cars, I was like, every single time there was a shoot, I I want to be on that shoot. Yeah, Mm. yeah, I'll make up the time elsewhere that I need to do. I'll help out on the shoot. So I drove loads of stuff, drove loads of cars, spent all of my time sort of listening to everyone was talking. And obviously, I'm reading these people's words, working out how they're doing everything. And somebody just sort of—I think I wrote one or two bits. um, I'd write about my about my 202, which went into sort of the long term section of Evo, which was called Fast Fleet. and I would write about it there. And, okay, and eventually, someone just sort of went, oh, we need a new staff writer. Do you want to give it a go, Will? And I was like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so that's where it started. So I started designing, and that's probably, that's yeah, this is why maybe kind of magazines are so sort of ingrained with what I do, because it's sort of, I've gone from that sort of production side of, sort of making the magazine, laying it out to the writing side of it, and being on the shoots and doing, you know, I suppose, almost everything other than Oh God, photographing anything <laughs> um it's pretty much the, you know i did everything at evo a yeah. little bit you know and that was um i learned loads and i learned how much i loved car magazines and they were the perfect vehicle again excuse the pun um to, to sort of to to nest you know for me to have this love of cars and to work within that within that space so yeah that's that's how evo started and again whole different ball game going from designing to writing and again i had to learn a whole load of other stuff and you know i probably i got I, I had so many great opportunities and i got you know i got thrust into all sorts of things that i was probably not qualified for <laughs> at the time and <laughs> and probably produced things that maybe weren't well you know that weren't good enough but learned loads and got better and got better and better and listened to feedback and worked worked at it and to, just to get better yeah. so um until until yeah, things things changed at Evo, um, and I thought, well, it's about time. Maybe rather than me sort of adapting to this new this new thing that was happening at Evo, um, it was big office changes and uh, ownership changes and all these sort of things that were going on. I was like, well, how about I go freelance? And then did that and started working for loads of other people. A uh, bit of auto car speed hunters. Uh, Tim worked I wrote some stuff for Tim's magazine I did a lot of work for Modern Classics when it was when it was still going that was yeah that was that was great fun that was you know cars were right up you know my street as well love you know that Modern Classic stuff and I had great fun working with that it's a shame that magazine doesn't exist um and then yeah and then I thought well during lockdown pretty much why not Start my own magazine. Yeah. As, you, as you do. Absolutely. As you well, do. yeah, and again, I mean, you know, as much, yeah, and I, I think, I suppose, all of that stuff, and having done every single part of work, you know, worked on it, lots of different parts of the magazine, I suppose, puts me in a relatively unique position that not very many people that I know have done, have done, have made that transition, have done those, yes. have done those bits. So I suppose. It, for me, oh, you say me, me, oh, let's just make a magazine sort of thing. There were obviously loads of bits that I had not anticipated. There was I was ignorant to so many aspects that I didn't. But at the time, it was like, yeah, I could do that. That Surely. seems dead easy. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> but but worth it.
3: Yeah. I suppose in a way, it's almost um, you, you know to your point. It's almost like you've done an apprenticeship. You know how like uh, mm. you know some somebody like a young person goes into a business and they try a bit of this, they do a bit of that, and they, eventually they. You know, there's some you know, I, I, I speak famously about them because I, I did an apprenticeship when I was younger and I absolutely recommend them to anyone mm. because at the time you think, oh, God, there's not that. Why would I want to work there or do that mm. bit or, or counting or, you know, whatever it is? It could be something that's seemingly quite not interesting or relevant. But when you come back to do whatever your job is or what you specialize in, having that round of knowledge, yeah. is, it just pays
1: off in such a huge way. And it's, it kind of seems like you've done that really. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, not not intentionally, not necessarily intentionally, but yeah, I think it was it was just the case that I was around the right people. At every stage of my career, I've always had, there's been, I'm very, very lucky to have had such brilliant people around me, supporting me, or in fact, kind of the right amount of not supporting me as well. The amount of, yeah, but people giving me the freedom that as well to, to do go off and do the things that, you know, need to do. And again, that was the case um at evo is that there were the my when i was a designer my boss there was very sort of flexible in terms of you know had a lot of faith in me and i and i you know and that encouraged me and again same with when i moved over to the writing side at the you know at the time nick trot who was the editor who was the guy who was who gave me sort of the opportunity to to do that was very encouraging and just thrust me into lots of these sort of positions to, to do you know to, to do things i remember having not done the been on the writing side for very long, probably only a couple of issues as it was, and then sort of going, oh, right, we need you to write a twin test between an Alpha 4C Spider and um Porsche Boxster Spider. Off you go. And I was like, well, this feels like a really mm, big this task. Is this, is a, yeah. this is like a really big task. These are quite important cars. This is not, you know, this is not as easy, this is not as, you know, a, a quick sort of review from a launch or whatever I've done. This is, you know, this is a big sort of feature And yeah, and again, that whole that whole idea was just so. Again, I I, I suppose I I like responsibility. I've always been, yeah, thrived on responsibility and been relatively just. You can support myself and you know things like that. So to to, make these things happen, which, again, you don't start a magazine on your own without sort of being a little bit, a little bit obsessed with making yourself, Mm. keeping yourself busy. Um, But yeah, that's that was. Yes, it's been. It was great. Yeah, i have got very yeah, entirely grateful for the people that are around me to to do that. And if again, if I, I mean, at the moment, this is very much a kind of solo project. Obviously, I don't write everything in it, and I have lots of other people that contribute to it. And as I've said before, some other big names as well. So yeah, some great yeah. big great names that you know, and you know, photographers as well who again, like I say, I terrible at taking photos generally, so I need lots of help from photographers. Um, so for them to be for them to be involved. Um, but hopefully, as it grows and expands, I can start being that person that gives opportunities to people. Like, I'll have Definitely. lots of people sort of get in touch and say, how did you get in, in, into this? And I'm like, ooh, probably not in the most conventional way. And I'm not entirely sure my story is going to help anyone, other than you've just got to give it a go. You've yeah. just got to try this It never things. is, is it? Like, how, no.
3: how often do we, this comes up in various conversations mm. that either we have on the podcast or outside of that, where a lot of people reach out to John, you know, obviously from, from a as a, as a uh, people wanting to get into journalism mm. having you know john's formative years doing that maybe myself as a you know as a vehicle dynamics engineer and test driver and all that kind of stuff we get it a lot mm. and that is always the answer there is never a straight line and it's not mm. it's not a cop out or, you know yeah. you never get that kind of thing it's it's genuine in the sense of you, you sometimes have to just follow some paths and see where they go. You would, if somebody had said to you five years before, when you're at university, you're going to be writer, to be a staff writer at Evo. You would have yeah. said, "Nah, surely not." You know, mm. but that's how
1: these things go sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. And I say, I mean, this might sound a bit crass and a bit, a bit unfair, but you've got to be doing better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And mm. I know that sounds really kind of cruel, a little bit, and possibly sounds maybe a little bit arrogant from my point of view when I think about my university days but like i say my university final project was a magazine and I, my, I made this magazine and i put all my work and effort into this magazine and had enough print you know printed that at my final show everyone could come in and they could leave with the magazine yeah the magazine that i made and had printed and did all that sort of stuff when I mean, some other people had sort of just put up a picture of the thing that they'd created which looked like it might have been might have done it in an afternoon and i was like okay, maybe they'd probably, they'd probably put a lot more effort in, And that's unfair. I'm kind of, I'm, a bit, I'm exaggerating. But for me, the point was to stand out. And the, the the only way I could do that was to put more effort in and more time and to make sure that I made you know, made sure that, you know, what I did, you know, I saved you know, I, the money that I used to print it, you know, was, was my money. I didn't borrow it from anywhere else. I didn't, you know, it was my student loan that I hadn't spent on cars. Um, <laughs> you know, and things, that, you know, silly things like that. And again, I'm not saying you have to spend money to do it, but... If you're the person that is working harder if you're the person that is there that is you know, that is impressing most because you have you know you've put the more effort in, I think that also that always goes seen mm. you know, it's never no one ever really ignores that and you know I'm sure you can put a lot of effort in the wrong way and possibly some other times that's no, it's not very useful but most of the time if you' if you want it mo- if you want it most you'll put more effort in and you'll you know and, and you'll be you'll be seen having put more effort in and putting effort in is really valuable mm. <laughs> you know what i mean being being a hard worker is incredibly valuable if it, you might not have when you're young you might you will not have the skills and the talent and all those other things i mean you might do you might be incredibly gifted as a writer photographer driver you might be all those things but if you aren't working very hard no one will ever see it anyway no. correct and if you are, but if you haven't got the gift necessarily and it needs nurturing, you need the time, you need the expertise and all the help and all those other things. If you're working really hard, someone will give you, the, give you that, that opportunity or someone more likely to give you those opportunities because they'll be like, well, it'll be worth it. That person will put that effort in. That person will, you know, if I, that, my feedback will not go wasted because that person will be working hard to make themselves better because they're working hard all the, you know, at, at everything. So, yeah. you know... So again, it's, a bit, it's not necessarily the best advice because it's not, it's not very focused, but working your ass off is really useful. It is,
0: <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. And even, as you say, even if you're not brilliant at what you're doing, working is the best way to do it. And it's the, the advice that I always give to people. Whenever they come to me and say, you know, I want to be a writer or I want to be a photographer or I want to make videos... The advice is always, well, if you want to be a writer, go and write, and then write again, and write again, and then read. Read other people's words. Don't try to copy other people's words, but read different styles in the way people write. And you can guarantee that the first few articles you put together might be complete tosh. But if you keep at it and you keep practicing, then you'll get better. You're becoming a bit more of a flow. You'll find your voice in the way that you write. The same with photography. You just Mm. have to go. You can't expect to pick up a £5,000 camera with a £4,000 lens and expect to take amazing photos because that's not how it works you need to be able to practice you need to be able to study what other people have done and learn from other people and you know it, that you can make that sound as simple or as complicated as it is but that is the solution it's yeah. just go and practice in the same way that if you want to learn how to play a guitar you can't just pick up a guitar and play it you have to learn you have to practice it's a skill
1: you know everything yeah. that we do is a skill somebody asked me recently on a, on a shoot I was helping with a shoot and was working with a videographer Sam Wright who is. A gifted videography is fantastic. Um, and we, he we asked me, said, why didn't you ever want to get into photography? And I was like, well, because I, didn't, I was never very good at it. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, no one's ever really good at it when they start. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah, and he was that's like, oh, true, that's a good yeah. point. I think actually from, you know, you have to try all these things to find the thing that, even if you don't, you're not very good at it, you have to find the thing that you like.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: for me, I don't get the same sort of, um, that that rush of endorphins when I take a great photo. I mean, oh, cause it's never happened, uh, <laughs> but I don't, I don't even get a hint of it. Do you know what I mean? I don't look at it and go, oh, that I can make that's. Yeah. That that's great. That's not going to, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen to me. Um, so it was not part of it was not part of you know of, of, of that process. I love being I love photo shoots. I work on lots of photo shoots just as a driver because I love being part of them because I love being part of making other people's you know photos great. I love it when we you know when we try something and you know as a driver being able to contribute to, to that and, and and stuff and so that feels great. And I'm like oh cool. I'm really glad that you made that thing. And again, I got it with writing. I you know writing something that I'm proud of and writing something that entertains other people. You know, that's why, that's why I enjoyed most. Mm. And that's what sort of got me on that thing. And again, with design as well, getting some, making something that people go, God, this is beautiful. I like this. I like, you know, I like this. I've not even read anything yet and I already like it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I like it. Yeah, obviously, I, with the car magazine, you need great photos for that. So I'm very lucky that, you know, they've got you know, some great people that I know who are excellent photographers. Um, but yeah, that's, but that's, that's how it works. You've got, to, you've got to give all these things a go a little bit because it might be the thing that you're, that you're, that you're, that you're doing, that you actually, you might be, you're trying this thing that you think you might really like, but actually it turns out that you're not, it's not going to be your thing. That's it. You've got to try something else. And if you gave, if if you're, if writing is something and you're slogging away and you're going, it's not really going anywhere, give photography a go. Mm. You know what I mean? Don't think that for a second that all these great photographers sort of picked up a camera and went, whoa, my God, I've got this colour worthy shot that happened the first time they pressed the shutter button. Oh yeah. That did not happen. I had this harsh realisation when I once tried to kick a football, And
3: I realised that any actual sport I wasn't very good at. Anything that required some form of coordination, just no. You know, just sort of look at me and go, God, he's trying it again. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So would I be right then in saying, because I genuinely don't know the answer to this. You went to university, you studied design. Did you have any academic attempt or
1: qualification in writing or is that just something that came later uh it uh, it just came later i mean like i say i i started this magazine when i was at university i've always been interested in writing yeah i I grew up in a when when i was younger um teenager sort of thing me and my friends all it was kind of the the wave of when blogs became a thing Mm -hmm. we all had we all started our own blogs and we all had our own thing that we did and we would all um photograph and write stuff and it would be just (laughs) constant i mean about Five people would read it. I think we'd be the only people that read each other's blogs, and that would be <laughs> all that happened. Um, and it was, and, but it was. Sounds like my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've expanded to a slightly wider range of people, but not <laughs> much now. Um, but it was, and then we, it was, but it was great. And I think I learnt that at that time, even though I was didn't have anything particularly any formal, you know, qualifications for it. You know, you you learn again you start learning and again, you look back at it and obviously mine was car based and yeah. you know and that was all I, that was all I wrote about but I'd look back at it and I'd probably cringe at some of the awful things that I wrote mm. um, I do some I cringe at some of the awful things I, I feel as awful things I wrote last week um, <laughs> but it would be terrible uh, you know but I'm, like I said, I'm the, my my own biggest critic. I think yeah. in, in that respect as well. So and, you know, that's kind of useful some of the time. Maybe not all the time, but some it's all useful. I think it's healthy though. It's a balance, isn't it? It's yeah. healthy to it's... be able to
0: look back on what you do and think, oh gosh, oh, that yeah. was a bit ropey, That could be better. Far healthier to think in that sense than to think
3: I'm the best in the world at what I'm doing. Well, yeah, it shows progression as well, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. If you look at something you wrote five years ago versus now. Yeah, yeah, it's probably quite you know significantly different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, so yeah, so and I think you know, so. I started. I think again, words were always just you know. I've always been interested in reading and stories and, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, again, reading car magazines, but reading books, reading everything. I mean, stories are just, you yeah, know, they're a great, they're just, they're just the greatest way of sort of indulging in in something else. And I love them. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, so I think that was, that's kind of what yeah, I've always been interested in. It just suppose I never, I never cared about doing it sort of more formally academically. I don't know whether or not that ever, it never really kind of... I was always pushed down, sort of pushed, it seemed the path of least resistance was always mm. kind of the artistic route sure. and sort of design and those kind of things. Cause that's kind of what maybe I was, I found I was best at and what I found I was more comfortable doing. But at the time, even with all that, I was still writing stuff, still writing even mm. yeah, from from that point of view. So I've been writing really since I was well forever, but mostly sort of about cars since I was probably 15, yeah. you know.
0: Well, that's it. And that, I'm, I'm really glad that that's the answer you gave because, I, again, a common comparison, a lot of people will reach out to me and say, you know, I'm looking to get into writing, looking to get into journal, journalism. And I have to remind people that I have no qualifications to be sat doing the role that I'm doing now, not mm-hmm. to be a presenter on a podcast, not to do the occasional bit of stuff on the radio, the very occasional little bits of stuff on the telly. I don't have any qualifications in this. I never learnt to be a writer. I didn't study journalism. I didn't do anything like that. It was just through learning on the job and like you say well meeting the right people at the right time that gave opportunities tim yep. Hutton being one of them saying look come on come along and have a go at this and again i, mean, I think back to the articles that i wrote for the first car launches i went on; and they were absolute dog mess like really <laughs> just so bad but i look back on those and think oh, i can kind of see what i was going for but you know it wasn't it wasn't great Um, And I think it is so important that people remember that. The other comparison, the common comparison we give one of our other hosts of this is, of course, Amy Shaw, who's an amazing photographer, takes the most incredible photos, is an official photographer for an amazing brand. She's a Nikon ambassador in Europe. She does all this amazing stuff from a photography point of view, did not go to university and study photography. Mm. It's something that is so important to remind people of, that it doesn't necessarily matter that you don't have the degree. Okay, if you want to go and be a neurosurgeon, do get the degree. (laughs) but if you want to go into the creative world and have a go at something the degree isn't the be all and end all because ultimately it's a creative role there are certain practices that yes they're going to become helpful to get taught guidelines and structure but ultimately the majority of it you can learn on your feet and nobody is going to be a better teacher than yourself when it comes to just practicing and having a go
3: yeah I was kind of hoping that that part-time job i had at burger king at manchester airport meant that i could work my way up to being a pilot is that not, <laughs> is that not how it works? i mean it's a close enough
1: qualification yeah. if you ask me I Damn. <laughs> that's ruined at least my next five year plan
3: <laughs> um yeah no that's that very interesting point you made it's something we de- definitely come back to um really quite often so yeah it is
0: yeah. absolutely uh, let's jump to a quick advert break And uh, when we come back, we'll continue our story. And I have a feeling we're going to get a little bit geeky about um, BMW products. So this is either going to be the point where we say, thanks for listening, goodbye. (laughs) um, Or you're going to be shouting at your speaker or your headphones or your device going, "I haven't talked about that engine number. Uh, So back in just a moment. Hello, it's John Markar here from Driven and the Driven Chat podcast. Now, chances are, don't be confused, you are probably already hearing my voice as part of an existing episode that you are listening to. However, this is coming in as a separate section of the podcast in blend with our advertising space. And the reason that I wanted to bring it here at this time, this poignant time, is because we at Driven and the Driven Chat podcast are now opening up the opportunities for sponsors. Sponsors of episode by episode, or a collection of episodes, or a time span, or the YouTube channel, or bits and pieces on our website, you name it, we are now coming up with a little list of sponsorship opportunities that you may want to be involved in. If you are a business or responsible within an organisation, or a company, or a brand that feel that you may benefit from getting your brand put in front of many, many, many listeners all over the world, but mostly here in the United Kingdom, then why not get in touch? The podcast address to email is podcast at drivenchat.com. That's podcast at drivenchat.com. Alternatively, head on over to the website, drivenchat.com forward slash contact. And there you will see some alternative options of getting in contact with us. If you want to provide some details about who you are, your company, what you might want to sponsor. It's all there. What I can tell you is that we have tens of thousands of weekly downloads and more than half a million people have now downloaded the Driven Chat podcast. That is a very keen core audience. If you would like to capitalise from that, why not get in touch? One thing I can promise you, it's not going to be as expensive as perhaps you might think. Find out more by dropping me an email, podcast at and I will personally reply to you. And we're back. We are back. A legitimate advert break, a legitimate <laughs> pause. We've stopped for refreshments and things. Yeah, you've been an excellent back.
1: host so far. we well, yes. I can't even got the tray out to bring the coffee. <laughs> I thought I was a proper host.
3: We just stumbled over to the other side of the house where the toilet is and found yet another load more tractors and <laughs> yeah. ride-on mowers and all yeah. sorts yeah. of yeah. stuff. And John rightly asked, he said, you know, what is it? Did your dad have like a plant hire business or something like that? And you went... Uh, no. It's <laughs> all does, just for fun. It's just for fun. Just toys. Absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Yep.
0: Love it. Brilliant. Um, now, we're going to continue the theme of chat along the lines of BMW products. Um, you have already given away the answer to one of the questions I was going to ask, which was, what was the first BMW that you had driven? Or maybe you haven't, actually, because you said the first one you bought was the... 1602. 1602.
1: <laughs> but Had they... I driven one before, then? Um probably not no i don't think so i mean i might if i if i had it was it would have been it would have been you know in a car park when i was you know 15 16 or something like that you know just sort of <laughs> you know um possibly i mean but yeah never never i don't think so no i'm trying to think so yeah.
0: miles um what was your first bmw drive and the first one that you bought
3: ooh. uh ooh, that's a very good question um the first one I drove, that's, that's a very good question. Not. I don't know if I could give an answer on that, but I do have an origin story of where the E39 M5 came from. Go on. Um, so when my, this was when the financial crisis uh, happened. My dad at the time was a, a financial advisor. Suddenly those gents weren't so popular. Mm. <laughs> and they didn't have jobs. So anyway, long story short, a friend of ours in the family worked for Sitner Group and he would buy cars buy used, for their used car lots. And um, my dad would go and pick the cars up. Right. One of them, one time, he picked me up from school in an E39 M5, ah. and I was I was very young in primary school, so I would have been pff, I don't know what. Hey,
0: which financial crisis are we talking about here? nineteen thirty Oh, here we
3: go. <laughs> here we go. Um, so so he turns up in this car, and I'm like, oh, okay, it just looks like a five series because they did, yeah. Didn't they? And then. I sit in the back and suddenly it's got all these, you know, typical like 90s, early 2000 cars do where they've got buttons for everything. Yes. And it's got the, uh, it's got the electric uh, blinds and all this kind of stuff and tellies in the (laughs) headrests. I'm like, wow, this is, (laughs) this is incredible. Um, and then needless to say, we sort of trundle, he picks me up from school, we just sort of trundle onto the road and then it just, he just, you know, lets it do its thing. And I'm like, (gasps) Oh, now I get it. And, and, ever since then I was like I have to own one of those cars I have to own one of those cars and then I remember the first time he hit the brakes and I thought "Mm, I don't think that's going (laughs) to (laughs) stop typical BMW M brakes they're
0: good enough they They work once the first time you use them and then never (laughs) again
3: completely and yeah Um, yeah so that that's definitely that I think that was where the BMW love uh, you know came from I suppose the first one I ever owned was a very you know sort of vanilla uh e90 3 series but it was a 325 oh. diesel m sport very rare car very very rare car as a man it was a manuel wow it, and uh you know it, i had a string of e90s which i absolutely loved um and now now the 330 diesel uh f series which is a great car and the m5 sits there not really turning a wheel sadly but appreciating
0: daily oh god yeah i bought fun. it when
3: they were like pennies yeah <laughs>
0: Not from a, a financially ruined financial advisor, I hope, somewhere.
3: No, actually, there's, a, there's another story behind <laughs> that. So the, the, uh, if you scroll, scroll through the history of this car, um, I found the original invoice for it, which was like £58,000 back in whenever it was, 2000, something like that. Uh, and it was bought by a reverend.
0: No way. Oh, wow.
3: Yeah. So I, 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 I can only assume... I mean, unless reverends were very well paid back in the day, or he was on the take. <laughs> that's what that plate of cash was for it was just to put fuel in his m5 i just went straight to the shell garage that did
0: yeah Uh, it's funny i I mean i I think your story earlier will about the that feeling of getting into a bmw and just kind of knowing how it's all going to work and how it's all going to feel is such a common one and i think i definitely have the same relationship and it's what i find interesting is driving cars of a similar era so if we drive let's say an E46 M3 and then get into the equivalent Mercedes product of the time, maybe an AMG or even an Audi RS product, there is just, and it may be a personal tasting, but for me there's always something that's just a little bit cut above the rest when it comes to driving something like that. My first BMW encounter so the first time I ever drove a car was a car that I absolutely definitely should not have driven. So mm-hmm. my first ever car was a classic Mini. It was an H-Reg, 1990. Nice. Um, had to go down to a, a brilliant little Mini specialist near Brooklands uh, called Mini... I want to say Mini Speed. Oh, I might have got that wrong, but those two... Anyway, um, little Mini specialist. Their courtesy car for... If your car went in for a service, I think it was having head, gasket, uh, head skimmed or something... It uh, was an E30 touring Stop it. BMW.
3: Stop but it. But
0: the premise of the courtesy car was that you had to be 25 years or older to drive it <laughs> oh. on the insurance. So my dad very kindly said, well, let's go down I'll drive the, the BMW back because we need to get home anyway. Um, I didn't live with my dad at the time. He, um, so he took me back to where I was living with the E30 leaving the keys behind and said, obviously, don't drive that because you're not insured. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> uh, no, there was no wink, wink. It was, oh. please don't drive that, <laughs> um, which, of course, I ignored entirely. Actually, yeah. Uh, so me and my mate, Will, decided we wanted to, I don't know, go for a, a KFC or something. Uh, and we thought, do we take Will's car or do we take this exciting new rear-wheel drive E30? Oh. Um and that was the thing, and and so I remember thinking as I got into this car, which, in, for all intents and purposes, as, as a seventeen-year-old, is like a glorious spaceship of a car.
2: Mm. It's like and a then realised, yeah, yeah, right? you I, know mean, what I mean, yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. And it only would have been, it would have been like a three-one-eight. It wouldn't have even been a six in it. It was, <laughs> you know, a tatty old red thing, the paint was fading. But I realised that the car was almost to the month exactly the same age as my nineteen-ninety Mini, mm. and I'm sat there going, hang on a minute. <laughs> This is brilliant mm. in comparison to my old Mini, and it definitely planted a seed because I drove that car perhaps quite a lot over that week. Maybe not without the right insurance. And again, yeah, it was quite some time ago. I don't think <laughs> anyone's going to chase me up. I'm back then. Yeah, sorry, Dad. By the way, he'll be listening. Um, and uh, yeah, that definitely planted a seed for me. So then that led to my first BMW purchase, which was an E36, also a touring. Now I didn't intentionally go out thinking I want a touring. But I treated myself to a three twenty I. Wow, touring six cylinder. The most underwhelming six cylinder engine possibly ever produced. But it made an amazing noise and it was rear wheel
3: drive, so Basically, that's yeah. all you need. There's a very simple recipe, isn't there? When it comes to certainly BMWs, it has to have six cylinders. Generally speaking, mm. I completely disagree with that. Oh, here we way. go. But, <laughs> here we <but, but, laughs> go. I'll let you finish first, and we'll go back to the six cylinder. I'll let I'll you finish, and <laughs> we'll <laughs> tell you why you're on. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna. hear your uh, reality and substitute my own. Um, yeah, for me, it's for me. It's six cylinder. I have owned some four pots before. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. Um, but six cylinder, obviously, rear drive, mm-hmm. uh, which has always been the way for for them. Um, and that was kind of it for me. Obviously, beyond that, you could have diffs and M sports and all sorts of stuff. But actually, that basis of the car, which was engine
1: at the front, driven at the back, yeah. that ticked a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, well, I mean, that, yeah, and that is, I suppose, the, the at it, at, you yeah, know, all the core of most BMWs. That is what exists, isn't it? It's that sort of front engine, rear wheel drive, and it's not necessarily just that, but it's how in which that is kind of engineered. It's always engineered to be. It feels, from my point of view, it's always engineered to to really feel that way. There's no hiding that aspect. It's a really sort of like a proud formula that they've gone for. When you jump into them, you go, "Well, this is exactly what what you know what I want to you know what I want to feel from this car." Remind I will go back to the six thing, but it reminded me we did a we did a, I did a feature. or oh, I was part of a feature. I, I didn't write this one when I was at Evo, where we tested the new. Uh, at the time, the rear-wheel-drive Audi R8, the first time we did one of those. Yeah. And we put it against a, a 911 GT3 and an, at the M4 CS.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, and th- as much as I think the Audi was a great car, great engine, so, all those other stuff. And it, was, it probably was, in many respects, a better car than the BMW. Um, but it wasn't a better rear-wheel drive car, now, and that sounds kind of like a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. But it's it's almost as if like the BMW engineers have gone, well, we're going to really we're going to emphasise the rear-wheel drive ness of all of this, and make mm-hmm. sure that that you can feel it, you understand it, and you get all those aspects. Whereas the Audi was a little bit sort of like almost apologetic about its about its rear-wheel drive yeah. kind of aspect of yeah. it. Yeah. And so I think that's maybe kind of I think even in sort of like the lowly BMWs, you kind of get that sense. And if you got comfortable with it and if you've grown up with it, or if you just happen to sort of understand it, then that's where you get sort of, that's why I think I feel comfortable in them, you know, and that just happens to be the case. But yeah, I think some of the best BMWs are the four, you know, four cylinder ones. Come on then, hit me with it. Well, obviously, I'm a 2 2 fan. So, you know, that is your, know, you know, that's, that's your unbiased opinion. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> yeah. I own one of those and I've grown up with that. I think they're fantastic. E30 M3. Do you know what I mean? Again, very the, the six-cylinder ones are absolutely brilliant, don't get me wrong, but I have a, there, is, there is something very, very special for me, and I think more so than anything else, the noise of a naturally aspirated four-cylinder on throttle bodies or carbs that just, that no other engine, even if you do the same thing with six-cylinder engines, you cannot replicate that same sense of sort of, I don't know what it is, like they're kind of like that kind of really... A really aggressive, really kind of like hollow noise that just doesn't happen in anything else. I mean, okay, I'm I'm kind of being devil's advocate a little bit because there <laughs> are obviously there are some of the best BMWs are the six cylinder ones as well, and I, I get it, but for me, like, there's something special about that kind of no, that four cylinder, that four cylinder noise, and you know, and again You have maybe you might need a, you know, might need to do a bit of tweaking with some of these BMWs, and perhaps that's unfair to make them sort of to you know to. Make them into that those cars that I want, you know, a carbon air box on an E30 M3, as I think, you know, should be should be the law. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, this, yeah I think there's something very special about them. There's there's
3: there's something that I uh, I've said for a, a very long time, and it's been you know you, you, obviously the. the the place, I suppose, where you want to be with a BMW is, is, is you know, the pinnacle is an M car. Obviously, mm. that's kind of as good as it gets. But what I love about even just a normal, I say, you know, like a normal saloon, like a three hundred and twenty i or something like that, <clears throat> you know, three hundred and thirty diesel or something that I hack around in every day, I still find that an incredibly engaging car. Mm. Yes, it is. You yeah. know, e- even though it is not, you know, think about what the equivalent would be. You know, uh, I don't know, an E class three uh, you know, diesel or something like that, mm. it would not deliver the same driving experience whatsoever.
1: No. no. And I suspect the guy who loves Mercedes or Audis or whatever it might be would jump into a BMW and go, oh, do you know what? This isn't luxurious enough. This isn't whatever it is enough. The again you know they have niches they they yeah they have their different niches but like i say it's that aspect where jumping in a bmw and going oh this just feels right and it does all the things that i wanted to do and it all you know i can get to get it to do the things i want it to do it's all yeah i mean i i would love to say that i suppose maybe if it was different and i was i felt similar in a similar in porsches again it's not that i don't feel comfortable in them it's not a sort of like doesn't it's not as rapid the sort of that that feeling of being completely at home in them—it just you know, mm. takes a little while compared to compared to BMWs, and same with Audis or Mercedes, whatever it might be. Just never as, never as sort of, it's not instant like it is with BMWs. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I wanted, one of the things that I, I felt was it's going to be inevitable. That we bring it up is the succession of M cars, and interestingly, we could go, we could hop back into that debate of the four-cylinder E30 M3, which up until only a few years ago I'd never driven before. And I think I kind of haloed it in my head as it was going to be this glorious, brilliant thing. The first M car that I ever purchased for myself was an E46 M3. Mm -hmm. I went out and bought that at the grand old age of 24 or something, I can't remember. And remember thinking, what an amazing thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. many years ago. What an amazing thing, brilliant. And I remember thinking, God, this is brilliant. And then I'd driven a couple of friends, like E90 M3s, and thought, oh God, those are brilliant as well. The E30 must be brilliant as well. But... I remember getting to the E30 and going,
2: Uh. (laughs) ah, it's
0: it's not that quick. And it doesn't, I get the fizzy four-pot sound thing, yeah. But I was like, "Ah, do I wish it had two more cylinders? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And that kind of sparked a really bizarre fascination with M cars. Because then I started driving as many as I possibly could. Friends of mine started getting E39 M5s. And I was driving those going,
1: whoa, what an
0: amazing thing. You know, massive powerhouse of a v8 Uh, i had a quick rip in a e60 m5 of course the v10 and i think that experience of driving all those different m cars for me solidified this almost like a fantasy that every bmw m car was just glorious and Mm -hmm. wonderful and then of course as my career developed and i started writing about cars and started being sent press cars or demonstrator cars i would then I then found, a bit like I had my dreams shattered a little bit in the era of driving the E30, I started to find that perhaps the later models, we're now talking G80 onwards, weren't quite what I hoped they would be in the form of an evolution of the products. And I've written about this, there are articles that I've written about this, and the example that I gave was the G80M4 that I got. Um, I... At the, top, the point that the car was delivered to me, suddenly I'd gone out from driving cars with either SMG gearboxes or manual gearboxes or DCT gearboxes to suddenly I was getting in a car with a ZF8 gearbox and an engine that perhaps isn't exclusive to a BMW M car and various other creature comforts that I guess a lot of people modern day would go, well, that's exactly what I want in an M car. But a lot of other people, like purists, might go, hang on a minute, are we cutting corners here? And I'd be really interested to hear your opinion on this, Will. Do you think that that timeline of M-Cars, we've kind of peaked at the kind of early to mid noughties and then it's started to tail off again? Where
1: do you sit? I, th- I think we probably, I mean, in my mind, again, it's something I've written about as well, um, that I, yeah, I think... We, I think cars probably peaked in about the early mm. early noughties. Mm-hmm. I pinpointed two thousand and three. I think I wrote something about I the fact that. that I think music and cars peaked in two thousand and three. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think to an extent there is something that happened within that sort of within that within that time frame where manual gearboxes were still king. They were still the best. They were still the ones you know that that, that required naturally aspirated engines were certainly sort of yeah that there was a yeah, big big capacity natural changes engines were that, yeah. Well, what was going on um high technology had got to the point where we were you know where things were sort of really improving so that you yeah, we had you know we had fantastic amounts of grip but we also had loads of power so not too much grip it was there's just something sort of really perfect about those cars when you start looking at sort of like the performance cars at that time and what was what was happening even when you think about sort of like yeah GT 911 no, GT3s as well as all the yeah. M cars as well things that were, you know, Renault Sport were doing yeah. you know, with hot hatches just there's so many brilliant things and that doesn't mean that there isn't brilliant cars before or after certainly not you yeah, know that's there certainly are cars but i think that time was just probably the the pinnacle of of pretty much what i think what you yeah, from my point of view what i think what i what i value most in cars and again i love old cars i mean like i could say i own a car from the 70s you know, there's something brilliant about that as well but yeah, that's when that's for me when things were sort of at at their best. But I also, but it's also see what you what you mean about kind of the um, the, the, the E30 and sort of the more modern ones as well. I always think about cars generally, that sort of performance cars anyway, sitting between two sort of like two goalposts or two two you know, barometers or whatever it is, and you've got sort of maybe kind of like a Lotus Elise on one end. And you've got probably sort of like a AMG E Class on the Mm. other. So you've got something really, you've got something super delicate and precise, and it's all about kind of finesse. And it's not, you know, or you've got something that's just like a big hooligan's machine Mm. kind of thing. And M cars fit in between those between those cars generally. There's you know, there's some that are closer to the sort of hooligan sort of cars, and I suppose the more modern um, cars have kind of gradually sort of like moved that way, I think, a little bit. And, you know, and I think certainly when you look back at kind of the original ones and think about sort of the E30 M3s, when it was more about sort of delicacy and finesse. And as much as I love, you know, big, you know, powerful, lots of torque, wheel spin, uh, uh, whenever you want sort of, you know, cars. And I, mean, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy that as well. I can appreciate both aspects of it. And I think it's a really tricky one to sort of, and I can understand why, Especially why... And I think for me it was a little bit the case as well when you've grown up with this sort of more modern M car stuff. I mean, like I say, I don't... You know, when I started working at Evo, which would have been 2000 and... Well, yeah, just, about, just over 10 years ago. That's when I started driving lots and lots of cars. You know, that was not... I You know, it was just before, you know, the the turbocharged M3 and M4 came out. So that sort of, they were the first kind of M3 and M4 that I probably got used to. So, I mean, they were... Mm. They, they, they were tricky I think yeah, some of the time do mean they were, I mean, yeah. they were spiky yeah. cars spiky yeah. yeah exciting thoroughly exciting and I do love there's lots about them I absolutely love you know and learning you know learning those cars they are the more sort of like towards the hooligan end of stuff jumping into an E30 M3 and going oh this is a totally different mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. but again I think I think the reason why it's That car specifically is different because the whole motorsport element of it sort of it reeks of motorsport whenever you whenever you drive it kind of thing. There's an element of that that you go, oh, this all makes sense. Whereas the subsequent M3s and pretty much every other M car doesn't necessarily have that same that same kind of that same kind of feel. And I think the success of those other M cars, you know, and, and how popular they are, and actually how much more, I suppose how accessible that sort of those elements of those those are it means that they, they they are quite often immediately more fun and probably and also long you know long term just as fun as well I don't I'm it's a very difficult one because I love both of them and I suppose yeah. that's for me is that you know if I was genuinely sort of like creating my perfect garage and having these cars you know like I say if I've got these got a lease at one end and, and an AMG at another I probably have an at least and an E-class AMG and then loads of other stuff in between that filled those gaps and from my point of view there are enough BMWs that are also that I really like um and BMW M cars that fill those gaps so many of them you know you've got like I say I love I love the um the term, the the S80 um M three and H two M four because they were so bonkers. It was absolutely. I mean, the GTS. Oh, the M four GTS was just just so dangerous oh oh god yeah i mean you've never i I, would love to have i'd love to measured my heart rate when driving one on a wet road (laughs) because i suspect that some medical professional would have gone oh that person's going to die any second now (laughs) just to just sort of yeah because it was so exciting so thrilling but so tricky but also then totally understandable another i loved it and i think i would have i'd have i'd have one of those as well um, but yeah, I'd have loads of things in between. I think that's just an element. Of, I think what I think that's yeah, that's what sort of so exciting about about all these things. But ultimately, I suppose in reality, all cars I'd have would be front engined, manual gearbox, rear wheel drive. And I yeah. think when it comes to sort of the new the new G eighty M three and the and at the M four the eighty two M four. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I would. I don't. I don't want an automatic gearbox in, in one of my cars. I don't want. I don't want to own one of those. But I can jump in and I can totally appreciate what an what an what a brilliantly engineered car this is. Yeah. And again, from the evolution of that, you know, they've they've finessed and and softened all those really spiky bits of the of the previous generation car, but also still made it faster, still made it more usable, still made it all these other things, made it more refined, but also still more exciting in other effects. And yeah, it's a, it, I, I, I do get it. And I think I don't, I can quite often, if left on my own devices, I probably would be some sort of curmudgeon sat in, my, sat in here in my office going, well, what a manual gearbox! I don't know. Has to yeah. be naturally aspirated. I want a four-cylinder. Yeah. <laughs> that's that is yeah, the you know, That could easily become I, I think become that's me. It, isn't it?
3: We, we we have to remember that we as a we as a collective here are are the are the minority. We are aren't we you know? yeah yeah. yeah. We, we we certainly are. I mean I, I i had I had an interesting experience last end of last year because I the the well, I don't want the current generation M5s called something. F- G- 90 or something f90 yeah whatever it's uh, yeah f90 so i that car has been around for a while but it had sort mm. of escaped me i hadn't mm. just just hadn't got Wonderful. around to driving it yeah. um and i drove it for some launch event at silverstone and it was well it was unbelievable obviously because mm. it just did everything mm. extremely well it was 600 and odd horsepower so obviously it was really fast it was quite comfortable um you could literally pick a gear and an angle and drift it <laughs> however you wanted yeah. um and even i mean you know like coming out of stone it's like lighted up in forth and there's smoke pouring off the back and you go yeah i'll probably click for another gear and it just goes <laughs> yeah all right then yeah. well she you got you know we, yeah. before you know it it's and it's just easy and it's i I thought yeah this is actually as a complete package it's kind of the perfect road car mm. yeah you know, because it is, it ticks a whole bunch of boxes. It can be a hoon when it wants to, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, because I have a direct par- comparison to my, of course, car, yeah, E39, which is twenty-five, you know, coming up to twenty-five years older than that car. They're two very, very different experiences, mm. largely in the sense of what I what I consider to be having fun on the road, which is where I spend. Obviously, I drive cars yeah. on track all the time. Yeah, but I don't. I can't drive a car on the track like I do on the road that's what the older car delivers for me yeah. it's like mm-hmm. kind of a bit lower speed I still feel engaged there's the smells there's all sorts of stuff where I can't get in trouble really to have that to, to drive the car at that same limit of a modern car it would end up in a one a huge accident oh God, and two right, yeah. I'd be doing probably 120 miles an hour yeah yeah The worst thing I ever did was when I bought that car, it was on some super old Dunlops that were like cracked and all sorts (laughs) of stuff. And I was like, the guy was like, you probably want to change them. And it came, it came with a set of brand new Michelin Pilot Sport 4s.
2: Okay,
3: Anyway, so I just like smashed around on those for a bit. Absolutely loved it. Put them on eventually when I could see myself in the back tires (laughs) and it completely ruined it because... That car was not designed at the time to have that modern ta- yeah, tire technology. Yeah. yeah it had point. too much grip.
1: Yeah, absolutely. again, I yeah, I think I think also the other aspect of that that I kind of that I should say as well is that as much as I love like these modern cars and appreciate them, and there is a space. Them, we all we still have all these old cars. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think there's lots of sort of like there's lots of doom and gloom sort of said about the fact that yeah, I think cars are changing. I think also actually when you look at the sort of like the landscape of performance cars that exist now it's nowhere near as bad as we all thought it was going to be we all thought oh, that, yeah yeah you know, five years ago mm. that that would be the last time we'd ever see anything cool and actually we're still seeing some really really great cars being yeah. put out you know what i mean i think it was it we've just seen the launch of the rs spider boxer yeah whatever it is you know, an yeah, rs yeah. version of that and we're you know, still producing you know People are still producing on Porsche, certainly, and but you know we're producing these amazing things, and you know, look at an M two. It ticks so many mm. boxes that are sort of like that. I that you, we just we thought we we're all going to die out five years ago, but they're just not. Yeah. But at the same time, all these old cars do still exist, and until someone says we can't drive those. That's when we start start getting really upset about it because ultimately, you know, I mean, let's have all the, we've got all these brilliant cars. You know, they're gonna yeah, they cost a fortune to keep going. They cost a fortune, but it's, they're totally worth spending all of your yeah. disposable cash on making these cars. You know, continue to drive and enjoy them because they are still brilliant. Yeah,
3: absolutely do, and and you know, just if people could wind the clock back to sort of when M threes and M fours were like sub ten grand and all that oh, kind, 10. of uh, not M fours but M fives, all that kind of stuff, sub yeah. ten grand. Yeah. At the time, we just didn't know. We just didn't know.
1: Well, but also, yeah, we didn't know, but also didn't have the means to do so. That's I think that's because no. ultimately, as well, the, you know At the moment, there's a, there'll be a bunch of cars now, obviously, that will be that maybe we'll look back on. And go, yeah, God, what it, 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 yeah, what is that next car? Yeah, what is that next car? And I have no idea. I mean, I suspect possibly. Yeah, there's a bunch of cars that you know that I that I would I'd love to have, and I suspect you know there will always be sort of like M3s or M and now M4s as well. They'll always get to a point where they're at their lowest, yeah. and yeah, this. Yeah, you know, the F eighty, the turbocharged generation. They'll probably, they'll probably be sort of maybe the kind of uh, the runt of the litter to mm-hmm. an extent. They were maybe, they may be maybe never going to be the best M three or the best M four. They're probably never going to go down. It'll be like the modern E thirty six. I was going to say exactly but that. Yeah, exactly. E yeah. 36
0: for years. Yeah, you know, I remember that. And again, that not having the means thing is a perfect example. So I remember I started working when I I took on the role of classic grand touring. There was a guy that had a uh in in the village where our office was in east horsley in surrey it was a guy selling a esteril blue e36 m3 and it was three thousand two hundred pounds and i just moved house so i just moved house to take on this new job i had um i paid a full whack of rent up front because i was essentially going in as a sole trader and yeah it was just a nightmare so i had like nothing in the bank account nothing at all and i'm sat there going that's three grand. I wonder if, I think it was like three, two, but he definitely would have taken three grand for it. And I remember thinking, <laughs> now I could maybe sell something else, maybe like sell a <laughs> motorbike or something and then buy that. And maybe one day that'd be worth loads of money. And I remember having this chat in the office and going, do you ever think E36s are going to do what all the old M3s have done? And everyone went, nah, nah, because nah. they made so many of them. They made so many of them. They, they won't, they won't go up. Um, don't you know? Don't lose sleep over that one. And I was like, yeah, no, you're right. Well, all John, for me.
1: John's
3: still in therapy now. <laughs> I, <laughs> but mean, they, I mean, I... they
1: haven't gone mad, not no, in the no, same no, way that right. E30s have gone mad, and they've not gone. You know, and again, I think, but that's the case where is that so many of them will have been as it, when they got cheap. So many of them will have been scraps, will have yeah. been crashed, will yeah. have been turned into drift cars, will have been turned into all sorts of things. They're at the point where good ones become really rare, yeah. and those good ones are just because they have a value, whether they're not. You yeah, know and right. also. They're only—I think that's what we've got to remember as well. They were only sort of bad in the context. I said, no, they're not bad, but they were only not as good in the context of M3s. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. They're still yeah. a good car. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We're going to. Oh, it's the worst M3, maybe or whatever. If that's what—if that's the worst. If you've got the worst of M3, you're still in something really good. Mm. Like, yeah. It's like saying I've got the worst 911, or I've got still... the worst of the Victoria Secret models or something <laughs> like that. <You> know, it's, <laughs> it's still
3: okay.
0: It, it is a. It is a really it's a really fascinating debate because again if you were to put an e30 m3 on a if you put a collection of good drivers take them to a track day give them an e30 m3 to drive an e36 m3 an e46 m3 and let's say an e90 m3 Mm. i guess on paper and through pub chat everyone's going to go oh the e36 wasn't the best one you know it was a bit of it was a bit heavy on the marketing department that's why it looks the way it does and it doesn't quite look like an m car then get every single person to drive those m3s and say right which one drove the best out of all of them the E36 is not going to be at the bottom of that list. Surely. I'm 100% confident of that. It's going to be the E30 because it's not as quick. And whilst it's special and it's characteristic, it's not a quick car. It doesn't give you that kind of driver engagement that you're going to get from an E46 or an E36. It's a really, really interesting debate. And it's it adds on, I and mean, we could go on about this for hours, but it does result in this kind of like cult opinion on certain models does result in ridiculous values. And I look at a lot of BMWs now that are starting to skyrocket in value, or certainly the the classified adverts asking prices are skyrocketing in value. And I sit there and think, why? And then I look at other as a perfect example, without wanting to be too biased here, but a Z3 M Coupe, for example. Why is that, John? Why is a Z3 M Coupe? Why is, <laughs> why is a is CSL
3: that? M3? Why ever would you bring that up? <laughs> is it because you? It's own sold. One? It doesn't
1: matter. Have you sold it now? No. Sort of. Are you allowed to? Are you sort allowed of. to sort of talk it's, with authority on BMWs now,
0: or are you? Uh, uh, you know? It's. Um, it, you know, interestingly, it's. Oh, I don't know if I'm, I can say this because we might make a bit of a feature of this. I'll tell you afterwards. But it's gone. Uh, okay. Essentially, it is sold.
3: There's
1: a bigger story There is a
0: great it. story about what's replacing it, um, but it's gone.
1: Is it being anyway. replaced by another BMW? I couldn't possibly say. Okay. Uh,
0: otherwise, nobody will subscribe to our YouTube channel. So, <laughs> uh, keep an eye on that, uh, listeners. Um, but it's, it's it's fascinating, because there are certain cars that have suddenly skyrocketed in value, and some of them I can understand, and some of them I can't. For example, and this is going to be controversial, CSL M3 E46 is a phenomenal car, mm. absolutely brilliant. I've driven a couple, I think they're amazing. But why on earth are they £120,000? What's going on there? How is that £120,000 worth of car, when a Z3M, a really, really, really good one, the best of the best, is... 50 grand but the majority let's be honest are
1: 25 to 30. Yeah yeah. How has that happened and why? I mean obviously I can't I can't answer it exactly and I mean obviously but I think I, I think I think I have a vague idea about why and I think it's because of what the CSL stands for.
2: Mm.
1: More than more than what the Z3M coupe really is mm-hmm. and ultimately I think it's a case where the Z3M coupe is this brilliant sort of example of kind of uh, uh what feels like a real kind of uh, skunkworks project mm-hmm. you know and it's got it's got to an extent this sort of huge diversity of of, of bits that go that go into it you know i mean we're we've, we've essentially got you know e30 back axle yeah. and then you know then the latest m car engine up front kind of at the time and it makes it it's fascinating because of that um, and it's cool because of that, and they look amazing. They look distinctive, and they are—they are—they are brilliant. In, in and you wouldn't want to change anything about them necessarily. But again, the, the the CSL stands for so much more, in the sense that it was again that time, that early 2000s time when we sort of had this resurgence of, or this kind of this kind of, I think it was probably more of a resurgence because it didn't these. You know kind of road racer type cars did exist. These track day specials did exist before, in different guises. But ultimately, when it came to that 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 time where we had nine eleven GT three M three CSL, um, God, there's probably loads more. My brain's completely disintegrated, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I can't think. What any, I can't think. Uh, you know, um, three hundred and sixty Challenge Stradale. Yeah, you that's know, another one. Those, yeah, you know, th- these cars. They sort of it just it became a big wave of them because I think there's there was an element where because of you know, people's finances that they could have a car that was purely for fun they didn't have to have something that could that needed to span two different two different roles you know when you have these dedicated cars and you get into an into an m3 csl now and you actually think well, you know, these seats are pretty you know they're, they're they're small and they're tight and they're you know they're pretty uncompromised there's you know kind of bare carbon fiber door and there's not a lot you know there's not a lot of creature comforts there's more than enough you know for it to be for it to actually be sort of completely usable but this think like it was the first time really that kind of stripping back cars mm. you know, kind of you know existed and actually that's what it stands for i think it's the, and, and all the sort of the carbon technology that kind of went into it as well it was so new at the time, yeah really, and we didn't see you know the carbon roof was just otherworldly there was no other car that you sort of like and i think i think that's i think that's why it it, why that why they are so much more because they are brilliant cars they are unbelievably brilliant cars to drive and so good to drive that actually almost every not just sort of like the physical attributes of every m car that's sort of gone afterwards and the m3 having a carbon roof afterwards and but actually the way in which that the csl drives has filtered into every other m car mm. since yeah. it is the sort of like the the yardstick which everything has to be sort of like has to kind of be compared to it's a shame that that the induction noise that that, mm. that engine makes that they didn't that that's not what the bmw engineers thought was most most important because that's for me would have been amazing if we still had something like that yeah but i think that's what it stands for so not only does it stand for this special thing as a as a sort of point in time with these kind of like this you know with these rose races and this kind of GT3s and M3 GTSs and M4 GTSs—all those things kind of exist because the CSL was as good as it was. Mm. But also, BMW M cars exist in the way they do because the CSL was as good as it cost, and all the technology that went into it—it just—it stands for more. Yeah. And I think that that's what people see when they look at it. Like, that CSL—that's what that—that that defined that time more so. The Z3M did, and I think that's probably. I mean, twice as expensive, that's as difficult as I can't explain. I can't explain that because I mean, yeah, they're you know, I think if you were to drive them back to back, you know, you'd probably have almost as much fun in either of them than you would, yeah, and on the road, certainly. But yeah, I think that's that's why I think the CSLs, and that's why we see you know, certain cars, yeah, just just go mad in value, don't we, really? You know, and I think that's 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 why, why, yeah, I'm
3: I'm biased, but my you know, I I think the. Absolute point in history where everything was absolute pinnacle was E thirty nine M five. To be honest with you, <laughs> around the two thousand mark in Aegon uh, Blue. <laughs> it's
0: uh, yeah, it, I think we're all agreed on that, aren't we? That that period of time and the thing, you know, the E thirty nine. You mentioned the F ninety M five that you, you drove, and I I had one of those to test. It's one of those things where in my head it feels like it was a year ago, but it was probably two years ago, and. I remember then thinking, this is the ultimate everything car. I think that was actually what I titled my review. It is the ultimate everything. You can do anything with that car. You can drive it every single day and then drive it like a hooligan on circuit. But the E39 was much the same, and that's what made those so brilliant. Um, i would be interested in this question for both of you, actually. Is there a pinnacle M car for you? It sounds like it might be the CSL M3 for you, Will. Is there anything else that kind of jumps out as that is a real... Peak car for BMW. It doesn't even necessarily have to be an M car, actually.
1: Oh God, that's a really yeah, that's a really good question. I suppose uh, I'm I'm probably too fickle with these things because <laughs> uh, uh, issue two of Verka we it has is the main cover feature is um, the CSL mm. CSL stuff. So we've done we, uh, three liter CSL Batmobile, um, and. E forty six M3 CSL and the new um, M4 CSL. And I, within that, I will admit, and I don't want to spoil the feature too much because obviously you want to go out and buy it and read it. That's what I want you to do. But <laughs> I it. won't spoil it too much, but obviously I have been... I have Link sort of, in bio. I, <laughs> <laughs> I have said how much I am, have enjoyed the M3 CSL, so I can't deny that now. Um, so yes, yeah, that, that would be. But then again, quite possibly give it, wait till the next issue and I drive something else and go, oh, do you know what this might be? Yeah. No, I think, like I say, for me, you know, if I'm, if I, you know, for cars that I want, that I want to drive for fun, I need to have a few, not, a few things that, you know, a course to my sort of absolute perfect car. And again, it would probably be front-engined, rear-wheel drive, manual gearbox. And obviously the CSR doesn't have a manual gearbox. So, no. there is an element about that that is a, you know, that is a thorn in its side slightly. Um, yeah, from my point of view. Yeah, if you, again, it's such a difficult one because, again, again, I sort of understand. Oh, God, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it would be the, the peak M car would be, I and mean, I don't know what mm. the peak BMW would be, but it would be close to that, I think, probably. Yeah. It would be, yeah, you know, it does, it is such a wonderful car. It does feel so much like all the things that, other than the gearbox, everything that I want about a car. It exists Well, the engineers were clearly the same sort of person. I'd get I'm sure I'd get on with the guys that engineered oh, that gosh, car. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: I, I when I was still writing for SCD actually, I wrote an article about that and it was it was about if I was to I like I was born 20 30, 30 years too late. If I was doing the job I did when I was still working for OEMs as a vehicle dynamics engineer, yeah. developing chassis and what the DNA of cars was going to be. Mm-hmm. I God, if if I'd been at BMW when they were developing the forty six M three, or been at Ferrari when they were doing the F forty or something like that, could you imagine? Like, could you imagine? It makes everything that we work on, or I worked on, I should say, which sounds ridiculous because there was nothing I worked on in the eight years or so I was doing it that was less than six hundred (laughs) horsepower. But you know, it didn't. It just, it's just different. It's very, very different, and I doubt I. Whether those cars will go down in history, who knows? But, you know, I just, I, I think, God, oh, I wish I was doing that job, but 20, 30 years earlier.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a common theme for all of us in the automotive industry, isn't it? From a, even from a journalistic point of view or a motorsport point of view, everything seemed to be a lot more exciting Twenty or thirty years ago, and
1: again, maybe- but, I, but again, I suspect that they were sort of saying the same sort of things a little bit. Exactly, and so, I wonder. So what- I, it's very difficult, but it is very difficult not to get hung up on that element where you think you look back yeah. our know, cars were best in the early two thousands. But but then again, I speak to I speak to some journalists, you know, who are maybe a generation above me, and they were like, oh no no absolutely the nineteen nineties were. Or things all. you know, and we're having conversations, you know. having a, uh, Particularly heated conversation with Colin Goodwin, which we like to have our heated <laughs> conversations. That's generally how we talk to one another. Um, and him saying that how could possibly you have you know the best cars still have traction control and all those sort of things. I'm like oh, but yeah, you could turn it off. What's the problem? Yeah, yeah. you know, there's, yeah, yeah. But then it, it it changes and it changes with different with different generations. I think Because you know partly also because. You know, the previous generation talk about how great that what they were doing was because mm. you know, and that's why well, you sort of look back, oh, that would have been amazing. But I think people will look back at this time exactly that we're right. in now and go, oh, do so yeah. you know what? You know, it was, it would have been, you know, the kind of pre. You know, hybridization of everything, we'll probably look back at that and all that time and having, you know, and the fact that we got to experience so many of these cars and go, yeah. God, yeah, that was amazing. Even if the hybrid cars will still be brilliant in their own way, we'll still look back at that and go, yeah, that was the best time. That was, you know, yeah, that was, yeah. we were so lucky to have worked, worked in that sort of bit. I, I, I,
0: I do often think that I think about what is the, uh, what's the, the three people sat around a table in 20 years' time doing a podcast or or writer or journalist what are they talking about, about, God, you you know, imagine the time where in the early 2000s, you could get a naturally aspirated V10 with individual throttle bodies on <laughs> yeah, a family baby. estate car, yeah, like, absolutely mind-bending, Yeah, what
2: were they and thinking? the
0: engineers, at the point of building that car, they wouldn't have been thinking about that, because they would have been already thinking about the bigger and better thing that might have come next, but to think that that was a thing that existed. You could walk into a showroom on a high street and we're not talking about going and seeing some obscure hyper car manufacturer based out of an airfield in Sweden. We're talking about you come out of WH Smith having bought your magazine, you pop into the BMW dealership on the same high street and you can get a naturally aspirated V10 yeah. <laughs> with individual throttle bodies yeah. as an estate car. Yeah.
3: And that was just completely normal. And, and you know... Uh... I'm sure everybody will be doing exactly the same thing when they finish listening to this podcast. Yes, they are still very cheap
1: and you can get one for about 15 grand. Yeah, but yeah.
3: There's, there's quite a few risks that come with oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: again, but like say, if you've got these cars, will be totally worth it. You know, yeah, they're totally yeah. worth all that money and effort and keeping them on the road because they'll be just they'll be incredible. I mean, like, did you say? Although I mean, I don't know. I suppose it would be really what we need is, you know, a, a person of that generation who was an engineer at the time to say because you know, we say it's completely normal, but was it completely normal? Yeah, were they were true. they going? We're never going to go away with it. Surely. Yeah, but we're going to pro- we're going to yeah. propose this V10, and then someone's going to be like, "Don't be ridiculous." Yeah, you can put a V8 in it, and that'll be the best. Well, so, be the
0: best the, best so the story goes. I can't think who. This is terrible of me because I should know because I did a bit of a documentary about him. But the guy, it was the chief, the chief engineer at BMW M at the time, who basically decided that he wanted 500 horsepower naturally aspirated. And I think he even specified that he wanted it to be a V10. So that was the request from the top. Nice. But you're right. You can imagine the engineers going like,
2: are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you yeah. sure
0: about this? And, you know, again, romanticizing the story about Z3Ms, supposedly said so the story when it was a like a, a team of five rogues at the Atlanta plant in, oh, in, in the that. US going, oh, let's build this thing that should have always... It, they were moaning about the fact that they were building this fast... Um, Convertible, And it should not have been a convertible. It should have been a, a, a car with a roof. And therefore, they secretly put together this M coupe and then presented it to the board and all but one said yes. And, you know, I love that hearing these kind of romanticised versions, some of them probably a bit Chinese whispered and exaggerated. But, yeah, I, perhaps we do need to find we the do. engineers of that era and say what were you putting in your tea <laughs> yeah, yeah. at yeah. the time <laughs> what, again
1: I, th- I think what i what i love most about like, i haven't w- worked in this industry and kind of reported in this industry i was never very good at sort of news stories and that sort of stuff but but i was always fascinated by it. i love reading and stuff about these things is that you know the the people that are really involved in these these companies that manage to make these bonkers things happen obviously they're the ones that are you know Fa- most fascinating, yeah. The person that went, oh well, yeah, you know, we're going to make this V ten M five, or we're going to, yeah, we're going to have, you know, the- when you, I think probably at the moment as well is that we're not seeing very many of them. Maybe no one's kind of doing these totally ridiculous things with cars in the same sort of way, and it's mm. why, uh, particularly with Porsche, Andreas Poyenigger seems to be this sort of kind of like godlike figure because mm. we're all sort of mm. like he's the one that has somehow managed to persuade Porsche that they need to make for just a small selection of their road cars, a 9,000 RPM, 4-litre, naturally-aspirated engine, they're just yeah. going to pop them into it. Uh, what feels like a really small number. It feels like, how is that make? how does that make financial sense? How has he, or whoever it is, if it is him or not, has persuaded the board at Porsche to go, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you go ahead and do this. And why is no one at BMW, say, going, right, okay, yeah. we're yes. going to create... I mean, BMW recently created that, the, you know, the 3-litre CSL... That's based on an M4. Yes. Yeah, you know, and I don't know how much I've forgotten how much they cost, but it's hundreds of thousands of pounds. I mean, it's so much. That I've forgotten how much yeah. it is. It's you know, it's 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 insane. But do you, you know, how how come when creating that? Someone at, at BMW and oh, you know we could we could make a four liter naturally aspirated straight six. Mm-hmm. We've done that in the past. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. that's possible. You know Why can't we? You know, we can make it make five hundred horsepower. We you know whatever it might be. We just thought well, that's what we needed to do. We can do all these things that Porsche are doing. We can pop a manual gearbox in. We can do all those things. Why is no one at Porsche? Why is no one at BMW done that? You know, it clearly works with Porsche, so why is no one doing that? And why is it not happening? Is it too difficult? I don't know. I mean, it, but I really—that's yeah, what I find fascinating about it. As well, is I really wish there was someone. Maybe there is. Maybe all these skunkworks things are going on behind the scenes, and yeah. just no one is able just to sort of push them across the line just to get them going. That's interesting.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. You, you should say that. I mean, I—you know, like I say, my previous line of work. I used to spend a lot of time at the Nurburgring during industry mm. pool. And we, you know, where the, all the manufacturers come together. Mm. This is for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, all the manufacturers come together and hire the Nordschleifer for a week at a time six times a year we all descend on it we've all got our own workshops and each manufacturer goes there and does various testing so it's basically just having the run of the place mm. and needless to say you would see some pretty wild stuff knocking around you know and it could be oh you, you, you know you could genuinely you generally spot the next i don't know gt3 or something like that yeah. Oh, that's got an abnormally large wing on it or something <laughs> like that <laughs> You know, BMW, it was like Alpina were working on the 5 Series at the time and all that kind of stuff. And it was interesting to watch because you'd be trying to figure out what those cars were. And some of them you would see testing for like maybe six months or something like that and then never see it again. And and then six months, 12 months on when it probably should have been a production car, Mm. never appeared. Yeah. So they do try things you know they do try things and go oh, okay maybe and like you say sadly sometimes these things just don't see the light of day yeah you know? no, that's right
1: yeah and again I mean if we were, if I was making a Mercedes magazine we'd probably be saying the same thing yeah. about Mercedes, yeah, Mercedes you know the new C63 being a four cylinder and going why can BMW do a six cylinder you know and yeah. you know why can't you know it, it happens it's not just the, it's not just the, I'm not complaining that BMW aren't doing better I mean just because they're not producing a naturally aspirated manual gearbox car for me um, yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, but I just, I suppose why it doesn't really matter. It's just actually just how fascinating that this, this whole procedure and this, and the way in which the car world works. Because ultimately, well, you know, I mean, as you say, the people that are involved in all these are just as interested in cars as we are mm-hmm. and want the same sort of things that we do. It just happens to be that, you know, that, that they can't do exactly what they want because there's, you know, there's someone going, oh, that's not going to work. You know, that's, you can't have the funding for that. And again, you know, but all the things that we want in cars because people like us are working in these are working yes. in these manufacturers, they will still b- churn out some some really quite tasty bits of kit.
0: I wonder, I really do genuinely wonder if a bit like we see with Jaguar Classic Works, where there are there is an entire unit on an industrial estate with twenty five plus bays building E Type Jaguars, Mark Ones, Mark Twos, um, taking cars that people have found in sheds and barns and garages and rebuilding them making them as new but as the Jaguar brand that is part of the JLR umbrella of brands I wonder if we will start to see things like BMW classic motorworks opening up that does exactly that and they start building continuation models because of course the, the focus for the main market is, with all manufacturers is we're going to go into electrification that for, for many marks is Inevitable, Volvo, for example, have said, that's it, we're, we're, no more petrol, we're just going to get straight into electric from now. Um, a few others doing exactly the same. But I do think there might be hope for people like Porsche, who are clearly investing many, 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 many millions of pounds into the synthetic fuel creation, you mm. know, somehow pulling carbon dioxide from the air and doing what I can only describe as black magic to turn it into a combustible fuel that doesn't give off terrible emissions, it's, you know, really, really exciting stuff. And I wonder if because of that sort of stuff, we will we will see the return of a naturally aspirated individual throttle body, six-cylinder BMW, maybe 10 years from now that's being created or is being penned or thought about. Because, of course, if
1: there's a market to make them, they're going to be damn expensive, let's be well, honest. In a kind of, you know, the retro, resto mod type attitude towards yeah. these things, rather than, yeah, even, maybe not even continuation cars or whatever it might be. But and not just necessarily restored cars, because again, obviously, I th- that that kind of, you know what Jaguar do and and Land Rover, mean what they currently, I think, there's frequently a sort of new release, sort of old Defender with some sort of V8 in it somewhere or mm-hmm. other, which is yeah. basically just a resto mod, you know, Defender or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, absolutely, I think you know, when we, but when we also when you actually look at what Singer is doing and the development yes. that goes into the engines that they create, again, you know, a handful of cars. And but the amount of effort and time that's gone into these things, but the problem is with all of that is that just how wildly expensive yeah, they it. are. That's it, you know. I mean, when yeah. you compare it to when you compare it, singer, to the price of a you know a GT3, yeah, you know, it makes the GT3 look like a bargain, mm. absolutely, you yeah. know, which is which I suppose is you know depressing for someone who you know who who absolutely can't afford any of those things mm-hmm. and does not lot of ever will um, but I, yeah, I just wonder, I mean, you know, these cars. I I absolutely completely understand. I think that will be absolutely where we where mm. things go, won't it? Yeah. Because we you know as much as we all want new cars to continue on this trajectory of still creating brilliant brilliant things and hope you know but if we if we are saying that the peak was early two thousands, we are in a decline. Even if there are some outliers that are brilliant and there are some things that just yeah you know, that, that are really truly you know, yeah. properly exciting. I don't want to get too sort of negative about it, but yeah, absolutely, we'll get to a point where we go. We've just got to actually start making these older cars, or just restoring them, yeah, you know, back to what they were, but also been the occasional tweak, make things better, and yeah, and then you know someone coming out with you know making a, a you know an M three an E forty six M three with a four liter something or other, you know with a stroked what, you know six cylinder engine and a you know, carbon airbox and all that stuff. I mean, if that is the future, God, it will be exciting. Yeah, <laughs> just, just
3: looking across at Will now, just
1: getting very animated <laughs> yeah, talking about that.
0: It's true. I think it's going to happen. I really do. And and if it doesn't, it'll be a travesty and a disaster. And I don't want anything to do with the automotive industry ever That's again. It. Podcast cancelled <laughs> <Yeah>. everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to move on to something else like gardening. Knitting. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. yes, let's keep our fingers crossed. I think it has to happen, really. Um, but we'll
1: see. And but if yeah, it well, it's, does... It's, it's already happening, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you know, like yeah. Singer and um, there's a... Going back to M3s, there's a company called Redux that are, you know, have created this kind of... Bes- this Their ideal e30 m3 which oh, wow. is sort of like a kind of i think it's oh we've seen it's in the make one of those they, adver- yeah. they are yeah. they are, yeah. adver- they are advertiser in so you go. <laughs> um, but what they produce is yeah you know, they've got yeah you know, they've kind of the attitude of that was what if there'd been uh an e30 a csl version of the e30 m3 wow. yeah. and kind of got, and but also with loads of modern technology i think it might have a is it a 2.5 Rather than a two point three engine in it, you know, or it might even be might even be bigger capacity than that. And you know, it's got a full aluminium block. I mean they're going to, the, to to the absolute sort of like core of it. They're not just sort of like restoring it and you know, putting some softened sort of body you know, uh bodies bottles and carbon airbox and going, Yeah, it's all new. Everything like, right down to the core mm. is kind of completely cool. re engineered and redone. And I think there is a there is an appetite for those sort of cars. It's just yeah. a shame they're so yeah, sodding expensive. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if someone wow. wants to make a cheap one. Yeah, yeah. yeah but again actually that's the point of kind of having your own car a little bit isn't it you know i mean i yeah, say yeah. my two is not an original car mm. it's not very original i you know it's i took it back to a bare shell and did all the things i wanted to do with it or what i wanted to do with it within my budget and made something that was that was yeah that's it's a little bit like a resto mod kind of thing, um, but it certainly isn't anywhere near in the sort of price scale of of a you know of a singer or even an Alphaholics yeah. Alpha or a Redux M3. It's a tiny fraction of the price of those. But you can end up with with super fun and like I say, on the road, it doesn't actually matter how fast you go, does it? No, as long as you're right. going fast enough to you know, keep you entertained. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, fingers crossed, that's the way the automotive world's going to go. And if it does, you heard it here first, perhaps. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, before we wrap up, it's probably worth giving that magazine a good plug. If people are listening, thinking, right, I definitely uh, I want more of this, I want to find it, where can people go to find the mag?
1: Well, we sell it on the website, which is verke.site, or verk, sorry, w-e-r-k-e dot site. Um, you can buy it online there. It's in a few shops as well. Um, I think you'll find it in... Uh, magazine Heaven, which is in Rushton in the Midlands. Um, there's a few other places as well, and I can't remember what they were off the top of my head. But it will be working its way into into a few of those shops, possibly and a few in Europe and in America as well um, for the second issue. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's available there. You can follow us on Instagram, which is underscore Verka as well, um, and we'll keep you updated and constantly push you push you towards buying a magazine. Not in a, not in an nasty way. We do some fun stuff on there as well. Um, so yeah, that's 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 basically it.
0: Perfect.
1: I did. Perfect. I very much encourage uh,
3: encourage you to do so, and I intend on. Um... Uh, basically, when Will's not looking, take one of these out of <laughs> to, to have a read at home. Um, I've got my card machine here. Don't worry oh, no, <laughs> no. oh, no, about it. No, understand. Always salad, mate. <laughs> I love this guy. Sh- shameless plugs as well. Um, yeah, no, do give that, give the Instagram a follow as well because it's uh, you've always got some interesting stuff on there and some interesting stories. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, wherever this BMW journey goes, I'm sure you'll be the first to report on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For now, let's um, let's wrap up. We've been
0: going for a good stint of time today. It's been pretty good. But uh, I've no doubt, as I say to almost every one of our guests, I've no doubt our paths will cross again, be it a car launch or big event somewhere. Um, so no doubt this won't be the uh, the first and last time you appear as a guest on the podcast we like to revisit. So no doubt we'll uh, we'll do so, hopefully involving some sort of fizzy and exciting BMW product, or maybe not, who knows? Mm. Um for now i will say thank you so much dear listener for joining us for this week's episode don't forget you can see everything that we do over on the website if you have missed those links to where to find the magazine just scroll down wherever you're listening the bio for this episode the show notes will have all the links you need to find there including links through to the social feeds and of course if you follow us already on instagram you'll see if you're listening in real time This week there'll be some images from the recording of this week's podcast with links through to the social feeds for Verka there as well. Uh, Will, thank you so much for having us in your little office space.
3: It's been great talking to you.
1: It's been a pleasure having
3: you. It's been great fun. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Thank you, Miles. Thank you. Thank you for, again, to the dear listener for just enduring us for another hour and a half yeah <laughs> slightly more i think this week <laughs> yeah. sometimes happens yeah. you know
0: people don't seem to complain it's good it's good um so yeah thanks very much for listening do stay tuned we will have uh, as expected another episode coming with coming to you next week uh in the meantime check out the website and the social feeds to see what else we're up to on a daily basis and uh, all that leaves me to say is thanks again speak to you soon ciao for now ciao
3: The Driven Chat Podcast, powered
2: by Paramex Digital.
0: Oh, wow. You've made it to the end, the very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat Podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven Podcast in your preferred podcast app, or head on over to the website, driven.site, to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.